Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, church. How are you feeling today? Awesome, awesome, awesome. I want to welcome everyone right now joining us all at all of our campuses, our Banta campus, welcome, our Franklin campus, our Garfield Park campus, all of you watching on our online campus, of course, the Greenwood campus here. Can we give it up for everyone watching right now? Good morning. If this is your first time viewing or receiving an invitation or accepting an invitation, we want to welcome you. And if it's not, welcome back to everyone. If you're watching in a different state or a different country right now, we want to say welcome to you. My name is Danny, and we're in a series right now called The Art of Living. And we started it last week. Essentially, what we said was that life is a lot like art. When you look at a great piece of art, whether it's a painting or a song, you listen to a song or a sculpture or a photograph or whatever it is, and you're kind of, your breath is kind of taken away or you're just in awe, what you see or what's behind that great art is often and almost every time great skill. In other words, when you see a great work of art, it's because someone is incredibly skillful at that art. And I think it works the same way in life. When you see a great life, when you see someone living an awesome life or a life that you would perhaps be like in awe of or, or, st- or just look at and, and just, you know, admire, you know, oftentimes and, and, and without question, it's because there's a great skill behind that life. And that's what we're really talking about in this series. Life is like art. I think sports is a lot like that too. Have you ever been watching uh, some sort of athletic event or sporting event and the teams are just clicking and they're just doing stuff like the coach said to do and they're executing on their plays? And, and I have often thought this watching basketball. I was like, man, these, especially in the NBA, these guys are playing at such a high level. Like it's just, it looks like art. You ever thought that before? I was at a game Friday night. I was at the, the Center Grove football game and, and uh, they were playing this, this team that was, uh, I guess, ranked as well. And they were 4-0 and, and we thought it was going to be a good game and everybody was pumped and jacked and uh and then center grove got the football and and they just marched down the field and you know before you know it's a touchdown the other team uh you know they kick off and they and and uh they stop and three and out and they get the ball back and then they march down the field and it's another touchdown and then they they stop the other team again three and out they get the ball back and they march down the field and it's a touchdown and i'm sitting there watching like i thought these guys were supposed to give us a give a center grove a tough time but but man we our team played so well suddenly it's our team because i'm because i'm on the team right so so you know uh, and, and we just, and everything was working from the blocking to the, to the running, to the passing, to, I mean, just all of these different things were working. I'm telling you, it was like, it was 21-0 in the first quarter, and I thought, this is like art. I'm thinking, this is a great sermon illustration. Thank you, God, for allowing me to come tonight. But uh, they, we ended up winning 47 to nothing. It was absolutely incredible. Center Grove won. Yeah, we can just give them an applause. But I'm telling you, it was like watching, it was like watching art. It was beautiful. And behind all of, these, all of this, 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 this wonderful victory was all of this skill and practice and discipline and grinding. And that's just the way life is. 
If you want to win at life, if you want to create or have a successful life, there's a lot of skill behind it. What we've been talking about in this series is a successful life. We defined it this way. A successful life is one that experiences God's best in every area of your life. Not necessarily meaning success in the way that Americans define it, like money and fame and maybe you know, a lot of material possessions. Not that kind of success but rather experiencing what God intended you to experience inside your marriage, inside, you know, maybe your relationships and your friendships or your your, your career or your finances or in your emotions, success in that way. That's what God had in mind. And in order to experience that kind of success or to create a life like that, there's, there's a lot of skill behind it which means we need to practice and learn what those skills are. Thankfully, we have a book in the Bible called Proverbs, 31 chapters in the small book of Proverbs that are dedicated to helping you and I live a successful life or paint or create a successful life. Proverbs chapter one, verse three, it's actually written from a father to a son, King Solomon to his son, Rehoboam. Their purpose, son, the Proverbs, are to teach people to live successful, disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just and fair. If you read just the Proverbs every single day, there's 31 of them. If you read one a day, you can get through the whole book in a month, very, very short chapters. And if you did that over each month, you can get through the whole book 12 times in a year and hear what these principles are and what these skills are. Last week, we talked about the probably the most important one, which was the fear of the Lord. It's, in, it's all over the book of Proverbs to have this deep honor and respect for God that leads you to do what God wants you to do in your life, to avoid the evil in this world and to be drawn into the good. And last week, I challenged you to kind of work on that skill. Hopefully, you've been working on it this week, the fear of the Lord. If you you missed it, go back and watch it next week. Today, I want to talk to you about another idea, another skill that we all have to learn. This is all over the book of Proverbs as well, and it's the idea of overcoming or controlling or defeating this thing called pride. Pride. It's all over the book of Proverbs. Pride. You know, in the, a couple of years ago, I read this book, Mere Christianity, and, and just, to, just to let you know, there are different types of pride. I, I know there's a good kind of pride. It's the kind of pride that you have in your kids when they, when they do well. It's like, oh, I'm so proud of my son or my daughter or whatever. I'm not talking about that kind of pride. But that pride can turn dark too if, you know, all of a sudden my kid's better than yours. You know what I'm talking about? Just me? Okay. Anyway, so, so there's a good kind of pride, okay, but it, even that can turn bad. I want to talk to you about this dark kind of pride that C.S. Lewis talks about in his book, Mere Christianity. Listen to these powerful words. He says, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Lust and anger and greed and drunkenness, all these are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil, Now, some of you may not know this, but the devil at one point was the most beautiful, most powerful angel in heaven. His name was Lucifer. He was in charge of all the worship. And one day he decided he wanted to be God. And God said no. And he cast him from heaven. And a third of the angels went with him, and they are now demons. Through pride, the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. You cannot get further away from God than when you are in a mindset of pride. Pride says, I don't need you. I don't need anyone. I'm enough. I'm self-sufficient. I know it all. I'm better than everyone else. 
pride. It's this pride that King Solomon in the book of Proverbs is going to warn his son against. Listen to just a few verses. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2. Pride, son, listen up, pay attention. Pride leads to disgrace. It brings shame to your life. But with humility comes this thing called wisdom. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 25. Son, the Lord tears down the house of the proud. Anyone, anyone want God to come to your house this afternoon and tear it down, <laughs> your apartment? No, I don't want that either, right? But that's, what, that's how God feels about pride. He hates pride. Proverbs 16, verse 18. Son, listen, pay attention. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. Before someone trips up, before they, they mess their life up, there's this arrogance that rises up inside of them. Pride. What is pride? Let's give, let me give you a definition here because I think it's important to know what we're shooting at, what we're, what we're trying to figure out here. If we want to overcome it, we got to know what it is. You know what pride is? Pride is overvaluing yourself. That's what, it, that's what it really is. Thinking too highly of yourself, such that you look down on others. I'm better than you. I'm smarter than you. I'm... It's arrogance. Solomon says it's this, it's this haughtiness, this lifted up, this inflated ego that is going to bring disgrace and destruction upon your life. Son, don't, don't let it happen. Pride, overvaluing yourself. Why is it so dangerous? Let's talk about that. Why is it that this thing called pride can destroy our lives? Well, there's a couple of reasons, and I only have time to talk about a few, but let's dive into them. Number one, the reason that pride will destroy your life is because a prideful person thinks they're above the law. The normal rules do not apply to me, a prideful person says, because I'm somebody special. So everybody else has to follow the rules except for me. This is what happened to a guy named King Uzziah in the Old Testament in the book of uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Uzziah became king of Israel when he was 16 years old. And, and to his credit, he sought the Lord and he was a godly man and so God supported him and he was able to build you know, cities and towers and he, he had this army that was 307,000 men strong. I mean, he, he fought the Philistines. God was with him. God gave him favor. God blessed Israel when he, was, when he was seeking the Lord. But then something incredible happened in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Listen to this, verse 16. But when Uzziah had become powerful, he also became proud, which led to his downfall. He sinned against the Lord his God by entering the sanctuary of the Lord's temple and personally burning incense on the incense altar. Then Azariah, the high priest, went in after him with 80 other priests of the Lord, all brave men. You don't go after the king by yourself. You bring a posse, okay? So he goes in there with 80 other guys. Verse 18, watch this. They confronted King Uzziah, and this is what they said. It is not for you, King Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. Even though you think you're the big dog and you're the most important person, and you are, you are. But burning incense is the work of the priests alone the descendants of Aaron, which you are not one of them. They are the ones who are set apart for this work. Listen, he continues, get out of the sanctuary. Can you imagine telling the king to get out of the room? <laughs> you don't tell the king of Israel to get out of the room, but he does. Get out of the room, get out of the sanctuary. You have sinned, the Lord God will not honor you for this. The king is so mad, he's standing there with the incense. I don't even know what it is, but he's holding it, he's burning it, he's burning the incense, right? And, and, and he gets so angry, and he's about to like just lay into king, uh, to, to the priests, all 80 priests there. And all of a sudden, leprosy pops out on his head, right on his forehead. 
And he knows that this is the Lord's judgment, so he gets out of there. He, he knows that God has, has seen what's going on, and he has judged him. And so he runs out, and for the rest of his life, King Uzziah is a leper. And he dies alone in isolation, and his son takes over the kingdom. When Solomon says to his son, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before fall, he literally means it. You know why pride wrecks our lives? Because we just think we can do whatever we want. God says, no, it doesn't work that way. If you're gonna lift yourself up in, in pride, I will make sure that you are humbled. That's how things work. Think about what happened with Tiger Woods a couple years ago. He's at the top of his game. He's the best golfer in the world. He just messes it all up. Why? He just thinks he can have affairs with this woman and that woman, dozens of affairs. You know, his sex life is just all over the place. Well, Destroys his marriage, destroys his career, his golf games, you know, goes down to almost nothing. When he finally comes out and he addresses this publicly, do you remember when he, when he did this on ESPN? This is what Tiger Woods said. I knew my actions were wrong, but I convinced myself that normal rules did not apply. That's the essence of pride. He continues, I felt that I had worked hard my entire life and deserved to enjoy all the temptations around me. I felt entitled. I mean, I know you say, well, I'm not Tiger, but, what, but this can happen to us. Like, I put in my time, I put in the work, I don't wanna, I don't have to follow the rules, I don't have to pay my taxes, I don't have to do, you know, do, the, do the things that normal, I don't have to follow the speed limit. I struggle with that one. <laughs> we, pride gets us in trouble because we think we're above the law, and then God steps in and says, no, you're not. The normal rules apply to you. Please, please make a note of that, some of you. It'll help you avoid so much pain in the future. Why else does pride destroy our lives? Well, a prideful person is unteachable. They're just, you cannot teach them anything. Why? Because what? They, they know it all. <laughs> I mean, it's that simple. A couple years ago, I read a book called Ego is the Enemy. Fantastic book. Actually, it was just about a year ago by Ryan Holiday. And, and, and he, I mean, I love the title. He's not even a Christian author. He's just observing life and history. And what, he, what he's discovered through history is that, you know what really tears people down? Pride. Ego, an inflated ego. One of the things he said is, here is that pride makes you unteachable. You cannot learn what you need to learn. He quotes an old Stoic philosopher, Epictetus. He says, it is impossible to learn that which one thinks one already knows, Epictetus says. You can't learn if you, don't, if you think you already know. Is anybody raising teenagers? You gotta love them. They're awesome, but you know, you're 40 and you're stupid. And they're 16 and they know it all. It's amazing how this works. I mean, gosh, I just wish, wish I was 16 again. I could know it all, you know? But it's just, but, but, but when you have that mentality, it's like so hard to learn what you need to learn about money or marriage or relationships or, or sexuality. It's like, well, you think you know. And because you, you think you know, then you don't learn. And because you don't learn, you don't, you can't succeed, you can't paint a great life, you can't grow in the areas you need to grow. Pride stops us from learning. Why else does pride destroy our lives? Well, pride is repulsive. Pride, a prideful person, push, push, pushes others away, turns people off. You ever, you ever, isn't it difficult to, to, to be around a, 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 a person who knows it all? Number three, a prideful person turns people off. 
They just, it's, you don't want to be around them. It's, they're arrogant. It's, 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 it's hard to even talk to them because they're going to speak into every single issue as if they're an expert. And it's just it's so like, oh, get away from me. Professional athletes struggle with this. Uh, uh, actors, successful actors struggle with this. And, and, and it's not their fault. It's human, right? When you have extreme success in one little sliver of life, you think that you're successful and an expert in all areas of life. This is why professional athletes speak into politics. <laughs> it tickles me. It's like they, some of them didn't even go to college. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, you're going to talk about some of the most complicated issues in America and you know how to play basketball? Come on! Like these people studied and gone to college and they dedicated their whole life. Just because you made a cool movie and you're famous, you think you could talk about politics or this or that? It's, it's, but this is pride. This is what happens. If we think we know something about one thing, we think we know something about everything. And it just, it's very, it turns people off. It even turns God off. James chapter four, verse 10. God opposes the proud. He looks at our arrogance and he's repulsed by it. The word oppose is a military term. It describes an army that has set itself up in battle array against its enemy. I don't want God setting himself up against me, but that's what he does with a proud person. Remember Proverbs 25 verse 15, right? He, he tears down the house of the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Why does pride destroy our lives, it turns people off. But then number four, a fourth reason is that a prideful person can't say sorry. They're, they're, they're like incapable of apologizing. Listen, anytime you see a relationship go sideways and, and two people are not getting along, it, it takes two to tango, right? It's never, it's never one person's fault completely. Do you agree with this, yes or no? Anytime I ever talk to somebody about their broken relationship, it's like, okay, you did this, but you also did this. Well, inevitably, one person is struggling to own their part. Well, the, the person who's struggling to own their part is wanting the other person to own their part. Have you seen this? Have you done this? This was our case in, in, in our marriage early on, early on in our marriage. I would, uh, something would happen and we would have an argument and because I know how to talk quick and think quick, I would, you know, basically talk Jackie into a confession. <laughs> and she would say, after a while, you're right, I'm sorry. And I'd be like, finally. You've owned your guilt. And then I did that for a while, and it, okay, what, and then we'd have another argument, and finally she started to, like, after she would own her part or, or whatever, she would say to me gently, lovingly, uh, sometimes sternly, uh, <laughs> are you ever going to own your part? Do you ever do anything wrong? And I'm like, no, I don't. The <laughs> reason we're having a fight is because you've done something wrong. You remember this, right? It's like, she's staying, she, 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 now thankfully we don't do this anymore because, because I realize like this, this, is, this is hurting our relationship. Like I have to have the ability and you have to have the ability to own your part of whatever the wrong was, even if it's a smaller wrong, you have to say, okay, I was wrong too and I'm sorry, but a prideful person cannot get the words out. I'm, I'm sorry, I can't. I can't say it because their, their pride won't let them say it because if they say it, that means that I'm weak and I'm wrong and I'm sorry and, and I'm small and, and, and we, think that, we think that humility is a weakness. 
And as we're going to see in a moment, humility isn't a weakness. It actually turns out to be a strength. So how do we overcome the destructive forces of pride? That's, 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 that's what we have to talk about with the rest of our time today. It's a simple answer, but it's not easy. In your notes, I wrote it like this. We overcome the destructive forces of pride with this thing called humility. It's such a beautiful thing. It's like oil in an engine. It's just, it just makes everything work. Humility. Solomon says to his son in Proverbs 29, verse 23, Son, listen. Pride ends in humiliation, disgrace, dishonor. But with humility comes honor, comes respect. Things work well. With humility comes wisdom. Come on, son, pay attention. This is going to go a long way for you as you go through your life. As you inherit the throne, Rehoboam's going to inherit the throne here. He's going to become the next king. Pride ends in humiliation. But humility brings honor. Why? Well, when, when you take the path of humility, think about what happens. You don't think you're above the law. You kind of do what you do. You, need, you, you kind of flow and you follow and you don't give off. You, know, you don't look down on people and condescend people. Instead of pushing people away, you're drawn to them. Why are you drawn and why am I drawn to humble people? There's one reason, because they're interested in you. They're not so caught up in themselves, right? They take time to actually be sincerely interested in what's going on in your life. And so instead of pushing people away or turning them off, you were drawn to humble people. They learn what they need to learn because they're, they, they, they feel like they're a student. They're always like, well, I don't know everything I need to know, so they're always learning. And so when someone gives them feedback, they're like, oh, thank you, I appreciate that. That'll help me get better as a husband or father or wife or whatever. Humility makes life work. Humility draws God to your life. Like, God is, is, he's a sucker for humility. He can't resist it. He sees a humble person, he draws in. David wrote it like this in Psalm 25, verse nine. Let's watch this. God leads the humble in what is right. Instead of opposing the, the, the proud person, he actually takes the leadership of a, of a humble person and he teaches the humble person the way that he should go. He teaches the humble person God's path. For life, humility, God, God is drawn to a humble man or to a humble woman. What is humility? We gotta talk about it. What is it? If we wanna know what it is and overcome this destructive thing called pride, what is humility? Humility is simply having the appropriate view of yourself, seeing yourself accurately. If pride is overvaluing yourself, humility is simply having the appropriate view of yourself. In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, this is what Paul writes. Don't think you're better than you really are. Isn't that, isn't that our problem? We overvalue ourselves. Be honest in your evaluation of who you are. We all have a personal view of ourselves. We call it self-esteem or whatever you want to call it. We understand some of us have overvalued ourselves. And let's be honest, some of us have way undervalued ourselves. We, call, we can call that you know, self-hatred or self-loathing or whatever and that's where a lot of depression lies. Be honest. Be fair in your evaluation of yourself. And when you're fair and when you're honest about, about who you are and what your value is, then you've arrived at this thing called humility. So how do we do that? How do we grow in humility? I want to share a couple of thoughts that, that have helped me uh, over, over, the, over the course of, I don't know, a couple of years. There's a pastor who has a book on his desk. Um, it says, My Humility and How I Achieved It. And, and it's, a blank, it's, it's a blank notebook. <laughs> I 
I thought that was funny because think about it. My humility and how I achieved it, it's kind of arrogant. Anyway, anyway, that's what I'm about to tell you. My humility and how I achieved it. It's kind of funny. Anyway, so here we go. Ready? Number one, I just remember humility is a choice. It's on me. It is an absolute choice. It is not a special quality that gets zapped in you from heaven or some people are born with and some are not. Nope, it's a choice. How do I know that? James chapter four, verse 10. The brother of Jesus said this, humble yourselves. It's a command, folks. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will surely lift you up. Peter says it like this in 1 Peter chapter five, verse five. All of you clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. You got, dressed this, you got dressed this morning in some clothing? In the same way, put humility on instead of pride. It is a choice that we make. Now, the reason why that's important, I don't want to leave that unsaid, is because that empowers me, that empowers you. Like, we choose the path of pride or arrogance or the path of humility. What path will you choose? Humility is a choice. Number two, what helps us to grow in this thing called humility? You have this appropriate view of ourselves. We have to reflect on what we see. What do we see? What do we see around us? The other day I was at the gym and, and I was doing chest. I was doing a chest workout and I was doing flat bench. And some of you have no idea what that is. That's okay. And so I was doing the flat bench and you know, I warmed up with a set. You know, I put a little bit more weight on there, did a couple more and put a little bit more weight on there and a couple more. And then I put a little bit more weight on. I got up to like 205 pounds. I was like, you know, it's kind of heavy. I'm by myself, I don't have a spotter. I can get it up three times. So I get under there and I'm, you know, there's people around, you know, people in the gym watching, sometimes they're not watching, whatever. <laughs> so I get under the bench and I lift the weight and I'm like, okay, this is heavy. I get, where, I get the first one up, get the second one up. And third one's like, oh, I got it up. I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus, you know. Because what happened by myself, if I don't get it up, it falls down, I'm choking, whatever. I put it back on the rack. I got three reps, and I was pretty proud of myself. And all of a sudden, <laughs> this dude is my age. He's like, he's got a kid my age. You know, uh, he's, he goes to the, to, to the bench next to me, and um, he's got, he's got uh, 225 on there, which is two plates. On, but anyway, it's a lot of weight. And he gets under there, and I'm, I'm done with my set, and I'm like, <sighs> Check. You know how you dudes check out their arms? We do, we do. I'm just having some, we do. <laughs> you may be looking in the mirror a little bit. So this dude gets over here, and I'm not kidding you. He gets down under, that, under those two plates, and, and he just starts throwing it up like this. Like, <laughs> and I'm counting in my head. Six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. And this dude is a beast. And this wasn't like a young guy. So I just kind of took the weight off the rack and <laughs> walked away. Jeez Louise. You know, sometimes God puts you in a perfect spot to humble you, doesn't he? Doesn't he? So you got you to gotta be like, look around and see what's going on. And, and what you do is you come to an appropriate view of yourself, which is usually smaller than your thinking. What else, what else do we look at? Here's what I look at. I look at how small the earth is. Yeah, I was just thinking the other day about this. You look out, it seems like the earth is so big from our perspective. And, and, and what we discover 
about the earth is that when, when you, it's, about, it's about the size of a, a speck in, 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 when, you, when you match it up to the size of the sun. So small. Sun is 93 million miles away, but when you compare them side by side to, to, a, to scale, it's so small compared to the sun. And then you take the sun and you compare it to the, one of the largest stars in the galaxy, and then the sun is like a speck in, 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 to scale in, in view of the size of the largest star that we've seen in the, in the observable uh, universe. And then you take the largest star and you compare it to the Milky Way galaxy and the largest star is like a speck compared to the Milky Way galaxy. And then you take the Milky Way galaxy, which is ridiculously big. I can't even, I don't even know the number of of light years from end to end that it is, but you take the Milky Way galaxy and you compare it to the size of the known observable universe and it's like a speck compared to the observable universe. So here we are living on this planet that is a, literally smaller than a piece of dust floating around in our universe and you, who is also a speck, lives on a speck. <laughs> it's, if that doesn't humble you, I got nothing else for you. I got, I got, that's my best stuff right there. I should just quit right now. Because what happens when you think about the fact that you are a speck living on a speck, it's like, oh, my life's not that important. Remember what pride is, it's overvaluing yourself. Now, you're important and God loves you and you're created in his image and just because you're small doesn't mean that you don't have value, we have value. It's just what's the appropriate value? That's what humility does. We, look, we have to look around at what we see. Life is so fragile, it's so short. We're so small, right? Number three, what else? Reflect on what you don't know. This has been so crucial for me in, in my growth, you know, my humility and how I achieved it, right? This has been so critical for me. Uh, the, a couple years ago, I read this book called Humilitas by John Dixon. He's great. Great, great little book, and humilitas is basically the Greek word for humility, and in the book he says this. He says, the humble person knows that what they don't know and can't do far exceeds what they do know and can do. A little humility, then, is hardly rocket science, it's common sense. And so after I read that quote, I was like, well, let me make a list. So I got a little sticky note here in the page. This is a couple years ago. I left it in there. And I made a list, two lists, things that I don't know and can't do. <laughs> the first one, things that I don't know a lot about. I don't know anything about art. I don't. I really don't. Science, not much. Can't help my kids with their homework. Anybody else? Any parents can't help their kids? That's me. Calculus, nothing, nothing, zero. World history, some, little bit. Foreign language. Listen, I'm half Puerto Rican. I don't even know Spanish. Okay? It's pathetic. It's pathetic. Astronomy, nothing. Literature, yeah, not much. Technology, gosh, I know. Philosophy, okay, a tiny bit. Law, nope. <laughs> Business, not really. Investing, oh my gosh, you know, not much. So there's the, and, and then I ran out of room. So I was like, okay, maybe I'll start another column of things that I can't do, right? So these are the things I don't know. These are the things I can't do. Number one, fix anything in my house besides the light bulb. It's so true. It's so true. Like my wife fixes everything, you know? Um, I can't fix my car. I can't survive in the wilderness. I can't hit a 90 mile an hour fastball or a 70 mile an hour fastball. I can't run a half marathon under 130. Back, that was back then when I was running. Now I can't do it under two hours. 
I can't even operate a forklift. I don't know why I wrote that one down, but it just came to me. It's like, dude, you cannot operate a forklift. It's like, okay, write it down. So, you know, listen, I can't type. Anybody else? I'm a plucker. I just pluck. I like, I can't, like, I just with one finger. It's like, it's terrible. It's terrible. I cannot sing. I cannot play the drums. I cannot paint. I cannot do yoga. I can't do Pilates. And then I ran out of room. I could have kept going. And so I had this moment where it's like, there is so much that I don't know and there's so much that I can't do that humility is the only reasonable conclusion. <laughs> do you see what I'm t- talking about here? So, so, so this, it's appropriate, it's the, having the appropriate view of yourself. John Ortberg in his book, The Life You've Always Wanted, he's got a chapter on humility. He says that humility is appropriate smallness. The last one is this, number four, and this probably helps me the most, is to put yourself or to place yourself in the sight of God every day. Place yourself in the sight of God or in in front of God every single day. And I do this every day. I did it again this morning. And I'm I'm not just saying place yourself there once a day, but try to live in the presence of God and walk with him and walk in the kingdom. And what ends up happening is you, you, you come to realize that when... When you're in front of God, you're in front of somebody who is self-existent. Think about that for a moment. Just, just contemplate that. Everything else that we know, including ourselves, had a beginning. Everything else that, that, that we know is, is dependent upon something else. You and I, for example, we need, just to stay alive, we need water, we need sleep, we need oxygen, we need food. Take any one of those away for any length of time, and what happens to you and I? Like, we're done, right? We're toast, we croak, we die. Not so with God. He doesn't need to eat, he doesn't need to drink, he doesn't need to sleep, he doesn't even need oxygen. When we come in front of God, we are coming in front of someone that it was totally unlike us. Similar in the sense that he has a mind and a will and a spirit. We have a mind, a will, and a spirit. So we're made in his likeness, but we're also completely different than him in the fact that we are dependent upon many things to survive. Not so with God. When we come in front of God, we discover, as I just mentioned, that that he never had a beginning. Theologians call it being eternal. You and I had a beginning. Everything we know had a start date, right? You and I have this thing called a birthday. God doesn't. When, When did God get here? What's the answer to that question, right? One time, somebody asked him, God, what's your name? You know what he responded with? I am. That's my name. I am. That name itself just says, I'm here. Always have been, always will be. God is eternal. God is self-existent. He preserves himself. When we come in front of God, we come up against someone who is all-knowing, or the, 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 the theological word is omniscient. He, he just knows everything about everything. I, I like to kid with people sometimes when, uh, when I'm talking about Jesus. And I say, do you think Jesus could teach a 401 class or a 450 class at, 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 uh, at Harvard on, uh, I don't know, philosophy? You got to see people struggle with it. It's like, I don't know. Oh, how about chemistry? You think Jesus could get out there and teach like the, the toughest chemistry class at the toughest college and the toughest in the, in the country, you know? Could he do that? Physics, you know? Mathematics, could he teach the toughest mathematics? Yeah, the answer is yes every time. Here's why, because he knows everything about everything. He's the smartest being in the universe. 
And, and when we place ourselves before this brilliant, intelligent, eternal, self-preserving, self-existent being, what, what happens is we come to a proper knowledge of ourselves. You could define humility like this. Humility is having the proper view of yourself in light of who God is. See, if you struggle with overvaluing yourself or thinking you're better than you are, just put yourself in front of God. Just place yourself in front of him and suddenly you become the appropriate size. And what does humility do? In the end, it helps us to create a beautiful life. A beautiful, a beautiful marriage, beautiful relationships with your children, a beautiful career, humility. I would say, and my wife is here today, so you can ask her this, I would say that Humility is probably the thing, the, number, the, the, the key factor, the key skill that has made our marriage the enjoyable marriage that it is today. Not perfect, not perfect. She still makes a lot of mistakes. I <laughs> can't believe I just said that. That's funny. I'm gonna get in trouble for that one. I'm joking, I'm joking. I make all the mistakes. I make all the mistakes. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm starting to sweat. Um, whew. But the, but the fact that our marriage is enjoyable oh, is humility. We've gotten faster and faster and faster at saying, hey, I'm sorry. That's my, that's my fault. I apologize. Years ago, it wasn't the case. Where does that come from? It comes from, it comes from this thing called humility. Solomon to his son says, look, son, when, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, humiliation, dishonor. But with humility, humility oh, is wisdom, there's richness, there's honor, there's blessing in your life. Just pay attention, son. Don't let pride get the best of you. Take the path of humility. And in the end, it is a choice. Jesus put it like this, and I'm about ready to close here. Jesus said this, whoever exalts himself, whoever takes the path of pride will be humbled, just like King Uzziah. It's just a matter of time. But whoever humbles himself, whoever makes the choice to take the path of humility, that person will be exalted. The choice is up to you. This is a skill that we absolutely need to create a beautiful life. What will you choose? Now, as we wrap up today, here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He modeled this for us. He showed us what it looked like. The whole gospel message of being able to live with God in the kingdom of God, having the forgiveness of sins, the whole gospel message is driven and made possible because of love, right? Doesn't the Bible say, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life, right? Jesus said, there's no greater love than for a person to lay down his life for his friends, and then he did it. He died on a cross so you could have your sins forgiven, so I could have my sins forgiven. Like, we know that the gospel is driven and made possible because of love. But let me ask you a question. What is, what is behind that love? What made that love come to life was it not humility Paul said this about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2 one of the greatest passages in the Bible that even though Jesus was God he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped or leveraged for his own benefit Instead, he emptied himself and he took on the form of a servant, a common house slave. And he humbled himself, humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. 
And therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord. That's what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter two. Essentially what he's saying is that the cross was made possible, yes, because God loves you, yes, because he loves me, but because Jesus was willing to humble himself. Think about who he was. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, the master of the universe, the one who said, let there be light and there was light. The one who spoke the stars and the solar system and the universe into existence by the word of his power. The one who holds it all together. The one who's gonna be highly honored by his father for the rest of eternity and worshiped by all of you. Comes to this earth and dies a criminal's death. Allows the Roman soldiers to strip him of his clothes beat him until he's got no skin on his back, punch him in the face, tear out his beard, take a crown of thorns and shove it down on his head and spit on him and mock him. This is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he's taking this abuse. He created the very people who were killing him. And then they stretched out his arms and they put nails through his hands and through his feet. And then they stabbed him in the side and they crucified him. Yes, it's love. He did it all because he loves you and me, but wasn't it humility that brought that love into reality? It was. Christ humbled himself. He said, the son of man has not come to be saved, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Will you respond in humility? Will you follow Christ's example of humility? See, it takes humility to put your faith in Christ. See, humility says, I can't do it on my own. I can't earn God's favor. I can't obey the 10 commandments. I can't go to church enough and be a good enough person to, for God to let me into heaven. Uh, it's impossible. I need Christ. I need his forgiveness. I need his righteousness in my life. I cannot do it my, my, by myself. It's not something you can earn. It, it, it requires humility to look to Jesus and say, would you forgive me of my sins? I need your help. But here's the thing, he led by example. He went first and he humbled himself and he became obedient, obedient to the point of, point of death on a cross. If you would like to take that step of faith and humility, I'm gonna pray a simple prayer of faith. You can take these words and you can make them your own and today you can become a child of God by trusting in him wherever you are, at home, watching in a different state, in a different country, at one of our campuses. Reach out in faith right now, in humility, in trust, and ask Christ to forgive you. Take these words and make them your own. Dear Jesus, I humble myself. I admit that I have sinned. I've wronged you, I've broken your rules and laws, and I need your help. Right now in this moment, I reach out in faith. I ask you to wash me and cleanse me, forgive me. I believe you died in my place to pay for my sin. I believe you came back to life to conquer the penalty of sin 
that was held against me. Be my savior today. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, church, we wanna celebrate with you. Come on, nice and loud, amen. We would love to put a gift in your hands. It's called our saved box. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We had 31 people last week say that they trusted Christ and put their faith in Christ. Isn't that awesome? Amen. If that was you today, we want you to text the word SAVE to 65248. We will put one of these in the mail to you. There is a Bible inside. There is a cup and a, a mug from us to you to say congratulations. There's also some information in here about how to get connected to our church, small groups, and baptism, and that sort of stuff. So text the word SAVE to 65248 if you trusted Christ. One more time, church. Can we give it up for what God is doing? Amen. He is changing lives. He is changing hearts. Will you take the path of humility? Will you do it? Will you paint and create a beautiful life with this thing, this skill called humility? Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the exhortations, for the challenges, for the warnings to avoid this thing called pride, overvaluing ourselves and to take the path of humility, to have this proper view of who we are in light of who you are. Give us the wisdom to take the path of humility so we can experience the success. Finding your greatest intentions for us in this life. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Right now, I'm gonna hand things off to the local teams. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. Bring a friend.